You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So the Shavuos holiday is upon us. We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about the 48 ways. We've talked about the story of Rus um, last week. So we've been busy getting ready for the Shavuot holiday. And, you know, I neglected to talk about cheesecake. Cheesecake. I, I hate to say what I love on food. I really, really enjoy a delicious, tall piece of cheesecake with a nice cup of coffee. Of course, the coffee has no sugar because sugar is no good for me. So I have all the sugar in the cheesecake instead. But it is interesting. I associate Shavuot. What do I associate the holiday with? I associate with, of course, Torah study. But next, right, like 1A is cheesecake. Why? So there is a old custom that we have milk products. We have a... You know, even though most holidays we like to have meat by the meal because it shows an importance that how special, how enjoyable the meal is supposed to be. So we, even though I may not eat meat during the week, on, a, on an average week, maybe my Shabbos chant has a little bit of meat. I'll take a little meat. Most of the meat I eat is going to be chicken, right? Meat is really saved for me for the holidays. I'm not a hamburger guy. I'm not a hot dog guy. Steak once in a blue moon, but but not something that I have often. Holidays, we have meat. And that's generally the custom that we want meat by a holiday meal. But on the Shavuot holiday, many have a custom to have some type of milk products by a holiday meal. People have blintzes with sour cream, or people will have, you know, ziti, or... Or um, I don't even know all the things they have. But one of the things people like to have on the short holiday is cheesecake. What's so special that we want milk products on this holiday? What does milk have to do with Torah? There happens to be multiple answers to this question. Um, first of all, there's the verse that talks about the Torah is like is compared to milk. It's one of the things compared to. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Um, there's three things that only do well uh, like in an earthenware vessel, like, like that spoil if they're not like in a cheap vessel. Right? Wine is one of them. Milk is one of them. Could be water also. Torah is compared to milk and to wine and to and to water because because it's like Torah, right? We said that Torah does better in a vessel that's humble in a pottery vessel. So there's a lot of connections. Also, when the Jewish people got the Torah, so they all their meat stuff was not kosher anymore. They had to start slaughtering properly and they had to kosher all their vessels. But milk, what does it take to make milk ready? Right? You milk the cow, you have milk. You, you whip something up in your dough. So you're right there, you have milk. So cheesecake became one of those fancy types of meals 
um, that takes place on the short holiday, and that's why milk products becomes a big deal. And, of course, I take advantage, who am I, to say no to a delicious piece of cheesecake, which I know we have downstairs in the fridge, and I have been very, very careful not to have any of that cheesecake yet. But I am accepting uh, that as soon as my wife is ready to give it to me, I will enjoy it. With that said, um, this week is very interesting. It's like a th- We call it a three-day holiday. It's confused my children. It's not a three-day holiday. It is two days of the Shavuot holiday, which is Sunday-Monday, but Sunday-Monday obviously follows Shabbos. So there's three days in a row where we, um, you can't work. So we call it a three-day holiday. So it is interesting. The Shabbos preceding the Shavuot holiday, we always read the Torah portion of Bamidbar, of Numbers. It is the first day, it is the first Torah portion in the book of Numbers. And um, really, really, most of the Torah portion would seem to have very little to do, and it doesn't really have to have anything to do with a holiday, but you, the fact that the rabbis set it up, that this is always the Torah portion we read, before the Shavuot holiday, there's got to be stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff they talk about, it's in the desert, um... Uh, we learn Torah in the desert. The fact that God gave us Torah in the desert means you can get Torah anywhere. Anywhere You don't have to be in any specific place. You don't have to be in Jerusalem. You don't have to be in B'nai Brak. You don't have to be in Lakewood. You could be anywhere to study Torah. That's true and important. But there's actually another angle to this, how this whole Torah portion actually fits in very, very well with the Shavuot holiday. What is that? So what happens in this week's Torah portion? We are taking a census. We are counting the entire Jewish nation. Moses, Moshe, Aaron, the princes from each tribe um, are all going to go through the entire Jewish nation and everybody has to actually prove who they are. In other words, so you're from the tribe of Reuven. How do we know? Who says? Well, my father is so-and-so. And his father, so-and-so. So we actually had documentation that everybody had to prove, right, this is who I am, this is my father, this is my grandfather, this is my great-great-grandfather, all the way back to the tribe. So you have a direct lineage on the male side to whichever tribe you're in. And this is the sense. Now, by the way, this census was really only for people from 20 and above, which officially is the age of army service, some say 20 to 60, but 20 and above, um, under 20 are not counted, and women are not counted because women do not serve in a Jewish army. And that's why the Israeli army, I'm talking about a Jewish army, the Torah army, when we're talking about soldiers who can serve, it's only men and only 20 and above. And so for the men, we got to know what tribe you're in. If you can't prove what tribe you're in, you are not counted in the census. And you're going to have a problem when it's going to come going into the land of Israel, what land you're going to inherit, what land you're going to acquire. So that's the census. Okay, fine. So that's what the whole Torah portion is discussing. And we get the exact numbers. Uh, well, it's rounded off. But we get the numbers of each of the 12 tribes, and it's going to add up to 603,000 and change. When we count the tribe of Levites, we actually count from 30 days and up. And they were a very small tribe even with that. 
That's the sentence. But again, at this point, that has nothing to do with the holiday of Shavuot, of Shavuos. But there's a Medrash. The Medrash says, the nations were jealous. Why are the Jewish people closer to God? So the Medrash says a very interesting language. He says, bring me your, it says God wanted to make them be quiet. So God says, bring me your lineage. The Jewish people married it because they're from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Who's your lineage? End of Medrash. There's a lot of really good questions about this Medrash. First of all, the Medrash right away is saying, why did the Jewish people deserve to be closer? We're obviously talking about that the Jewish people got the Torah by getting the Torah to closer to God. Okay, so very good. So the Jewish people are closer to God because they got the Torah. So now the Jewish na- the other nations of the world are saying, why can't we be closer to God? Hello, God offered you the Torah and you said no. And there's, very, there's famous verses and the Medrash explains these verses that God went around to all the nations and says, do you want the Torah? And the uh, nations, the different nations, the uh, Esau said, uh, what's in the Torah? God says, no, st- no murder. <laughs> no murder. Or Esau, we murder. Torah is not for us. God went to Ishmael and says, what's in the Torah? So God says, no adultery. No adultery? What are you kidding? Or no stealing is a donation. We steal. That's what we do for a living. Each nation that God went to, they asked, what's in the Torah? And God said, whatever command it was that they could never handle. And they said, we don't want it. Okay. God comes back to the Jewish people. Jewish people say, we don't care what it says in the Torah. We trust that God would never do anything to us that we wouldn't be able to handle. Anything in the Torah is a gift from God. We're sure we can handle it. We're not worried. We will do. We will listen. We'll figure it out. And okay, so the Jewish people receives the Torah. So now we have this medrash that the nations are jealous what, what, what do you mean jealous, right? If, if in my life, if I had an option, let's say I could pick any college I want to go to, any field, and I look at the medical field and say, medical field, that, that's not for me. I'm not interested. The late hours, people call, and I'm not good with blood. I, I'm not being a doctor. It's not, not for me. Lawyer, oh, look at the people you have to deal with. Ah, the lawyer's not for me. Accounting, well, math, I'm very good at math. I'm to be an accountant. So am I jealous of the doctor or lawyer who I already decided I never wanted to go into that field? I hate the sight of blood. I'm petrified to be in a courtroom. I don't like gangsters. I know there's all kinds of law. I know, I know, I know. I'm just trying to give you a, a an idea, right? So... I would never be jealous of the doctor. I could have become one, and I chose not to. I'm not jealous of the lawyer. I never wanted to be a lawyer. Why would I be jealous of him? And let's assume we're not talking to money issue. I'm making a good living. Let's not worry about that part, right? So question number one is, the nations didn't want the Torah anyways. So what are they jealous about? Number two, we have to wonder, like... Again, if it's if it's not a real claim, right? They're saying to God, we're jealous. 
So if, if what they're saying makes no sense, why is God wasting his time even answering? And if it is a good claim, so what's he talking there about their lineage? They have a claim. We're jealous. Why is the Jewish nation closer to you than us? God says, bring your lineage. What's what I have to do with another? Do they have a claim? Then you got to give them a good answer. They don't have a good claim. So why bother answering? So I saw in the Zereshimshin a very, very beautiful answer. He says like this. The real, the, the real complaint of the nations is as follows. We know, we the nations of the world, that we could never keep the Torah. But the same way we could never keep the Torah, there's no way that the nations, that the Jewish people could keep the Torah either. And as we see, the Torah is not, not so simple. It's a lot of commands, a lot of regulations that we're not willing to do. Uh, the only way, right, right, the only way that the Jewish people would be able to keep the Torah is because they're trying to make themselves great. In other words, we're not trying to keep the Torah um, because God wants to keep the Torah. Keeping the Torah is because we want to make ourselves great. It's an I thing, not a God thing. Right? In other words, the nations are claiming, let's try to focus on this to crystallize it, as we, we the nations of the world, can't do it. So if we can't do it, nobody could do it. Right? In other words, the only way to do it is you have to make yourselves great or haughty or big shoddy. You're, you're lording over. Right? You're doing it to make yourself look good. You're not doing it because you know this is something God would love you to do. You're doing it for yourself, not for God. That was the claim of the nations. So God says to the nations, who do you come from? Right? We're talking, he's talking in this case to Esau. Esau is Rome. Esau becomes uh, the leader of the world in, 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 uh, in his time. And uh, that's, for the most part, the Talmud seems to feel that that Roman culture is really what took over Europe. And obviously, that becomes America, what becomes Western civilization. And we said, Who is your lineage? So you come from Asa. Asa is Jacob's brother. What happened? Um, Asa was the firstborn, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob's already greater. Right? Look at your lineage. Where do you come from? Who wanted the birthright? Who didn't want the birthright? So in the earlier lineage, where we all come from, Asa already said, I don't want it. And Jacob was begging for it. So Jacob had already made himself greater. So the Jewish people didn't need to become greater. We already were greater. We already had bought the birthright. So if we're saying to God that we'll keep the Torah, then they're doing it because they know this is what God wants. So that... Hopefully that answer is not too complicated. You got to think about it. Got to let it bounce around in your head a little bit. But that's the explanation to this medrash that the nations of the world said the Jewish people are selfish. They're not doing it for God's for God. They're doing it for themselves to make themselves big. So God's they're already big. They already have the birthright. They're better than Esau. They're they're the firstborn. 
So if they're saying, we will do, and we will listen, they're doing it because they know that's what God wants to hear. To make themselves better, they already have that. That was God's answer to the jealousy of the nations. The nations are jealous because if we can't do it, nobody can, right? So we can't keep the Torah. They doing the Torah is a selfish reason. God says not a selfish reason. Fine. Once we're talking about firstborn, it is interesting. Um, originally, the firstborn were supposed to be the ones that would serve in the temple. They would bring the sacrifices actually by, or during the week before the Torah was given, it was the firstborn that would bring the sacrifices. Um, and then it went from the firstborn to the Kohanim, to the Kohen, to the priest. What happened? And that's also, by the way, part of this Torah, this Torah portion. Um, the firstborn made one mistake when the golden calf was done. So the firstborn, some of them may have been involved. But more than that, when Moses said, and we talked about this, I don't know, probably a couple months ago. When Moses said, who's for God? So it says the tribe of, of Levi, the Levites all showed up. Because even if they were involved in some way with the golden calf, but they said, mistake, right? We, we were not involved. We are with Moses, we're with God, that's it. And all the firstborns didn't show up. So they made a mistake. So you see from there, when a person makes a mistake, or when a person makes any decision, a decision can, one decision, one mistake will change where my life is going to take me. The firstborn were supposed to be the ones working in the temple. They made a mistake. That changed their path. And the Kohanim, the priests, the Kohen, they made a good decision, and that also changed the direction of their lives. So with that, I saw a fascinating story this week. New story. The author of this um, English translation, it's not an exact translation of this Zereshimshin, but this uh, author, he he brought it where people can understand it. He asks questions, he gives answers, he he tries to bring out the topic in a simple way, um, and he tries to talk about this Zereshimshin, his uh, what he talks about on the on the weekly Torah portion, and then he also brings stories because everybody likes to read books with stories. So he's actually talking about himself in this story. So he talks about he was supposed to speak. Um, for an organization called Lishmoa. It's, it seems Lishmoa does, uh, one of the things they do in Israel, they're like a like a big brother, big sister organization that they help out uh, children and they'll have uh, their older mentors with the younger ones and they're very open and children that have had a hard time, whether with family, whether with religion, they're just open to everybody and they're not judgmental and and they don't allow you to burn your bridge with them. If you need to be connected to someone, they they keep the door open, right? They leave the light on, right? So um, anyways, so this this author, this Nachman Seltzer, was going to be speaking by um, a Lishmoa event, and he hadn't even really prepared. He, was, he didn't know exactly what he was going to talk about. He's a person that has lots of things to talk about. I'm sure he wasn't worried, but he hadn't actually decided what he was going to talk about. Anyways, he's coming out of wherever he lives, and he picks up a hitchhiker. 
and uh, okay, where are you going? He takes where he's going, and they start talking, and he's, the guy says, yeah, he's married, he just had a kid. Um, he says, where did you go to high school? He says, I, I tell you the truth, I, I never graduated high school. School was not for me. I bounced around. I got in trouble. And one day, um, I slipped. I broke my ankle. I, I needed to go home. I couldn't hang out with my friends. I needed someone to take care of me, so I came home. And the fact was, I got invited to a meal. And at that meal, I heard Yuri's story. And it changed my life. Who's Yuri? So Yuri was a guy. He was the most friendly, nicest person you ever met. He always wanted to help. He always got involved. And because that was his personality, he actually became a volunteer in a certain orphanage. And he got a Now, this was a, an orphanage with children from all kinds of... They were orphans or broken homes or, or parents that obviously could not take care of their children. And uh, so many of these children in this home um, were, ha- had, had certainly difficult lives and certainly um, were difficult children. And everybody got along with Yuri. Everybody loved Yuri. He was the greatest guy. But there was one girl. Her name was Angelina. So I don't even know if it was a Jewish orphanage. And this Angelina always used to yell at him and scream at him. And it got to the point where when he would walk into the building, if he thought he saw this Angelina down the hallway, he went the other way. It just he couldn't. He was nice to her. But he just couldn't be in the same room with her. She was clearly a very troubled girl. One day, Yuri is home, and he gets a phone call from Jason. And Jason and Yuri have been working pretty hard with Jason just to get him to smile. Right? These were children that didn't even have the ability to smile. Jason says, Yuri, says, Angelina was in a car accident. Now remember, to Jason, she's his family. All the children here, this is their family. So Jason says to Yudi, you got to pray for her. You got to pray for her. Right now she's in a coma, and, uh, and we don't know what's going to be with her, but you, you can't let her die. You got to pray. Okay. So Yudi says, yes. So Jason said, had asked Yudi to pray. Yudi's going to pray. So he goes and prays. The next morning, um, Angelina wakes up, and... She tells everybody what happens. Jason calls up Yudi and he says, your prayers worked. How do you know my prayers worked? So, so Jason says, when Angelina woke up, she told us she was in this garden and she heard your voice. Now, you were talking in a foreign language because he was praying and he prays in Hebrew and Angelina didn't speak no Hebrew, right? So she heard your voice in a foreign language. So that was Yudi's, that was this Yudi's story. So the hitchhiker tells this Nachman Seltzer, he says, when I heard this Yudi's story, I felt a connection. That was the connection I've been looking for. I needed to know that God loves me. And I needed to know that God, not only does God love me, but I can build a relationship with God, just like Yudi had a relationship, and he needed to pray for somebody. He prayed for the person, and the person got better. So I knew I needed to catch up. 
So, um, so I, I got back into, um, into being religious. So this, this Nachman Seltzer says, uh, do you have a teacher? Do you have someone you're connected to? He says, yeah. Um, my person that I'm connected to is from this organization called Lishmoa, the same organization that, uh, that this Nachman Seltzer had to speak at that night. He says, growing up, I burnt all my bridges. I just burnt them all. The only place that my bridge wasn't burnt was this Lishmoa. They never judged me. The door was always open, and I was able to connect. So that so what happened was I broke my ankle. I came home, and because of Lishmoa, I got to hear that story. So Nachman Seltzer says, you gave me my speech. You know, last night my kid was up late. I couldn't sleep, and... and uh, and here I am. It just happened to be. I picked you up because I got I got my driveway late. There's more into the story, but the music is playing. Hope you enjoyed it, short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Then on the production team, we have David and Cisco in the back. I hope I've left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Have a great Yontif, and until next time, don't forget to think about it.